You're listening to Life of the Record, classic albums told by the people who made them. My name is Dan Nordheim. Lowe formed in Duluth, Minnesota in 1993 by Alan Sparhawk, Mimi Parker, and John Nichols. They initially signed with Vernon Yard and released their debut album, I Could Live in Hope, in 1994. John Nichols left the band and Zach Sally joined as they released Long Division and The Curtain Hits the Cast prior to leaving Vernon Yard. After signing with Cranky, they released Songs for a Dead Pilot, Secret Name, and Christmas before reconnecting with Steve Albini to record the songs that became 2001's Things We Lost in the Fire. In this episode, for the 20th anniversary, Mimi Parker and Alan Sparhawk look back on how Things We Lost in the Fire came together. This is The Making of Things We Lost in the Fire. My name is Mimi Parker, and I'm in Lowe, and I'm here today to reminisce about our record from, I think it was 2001, called Things We Lost in the Fire. Me too. <laughs> I'm Alan Sparhawk, and I'm also in Lowe. I think in Lowe. every point of any, every and any record we've ever done, there's confusion. Yeah. Whereas point, we're, yeah. we're like, what are we doing? Is this any good? Is this just crap? Is this, yeah. you know? Oh, no, are these songs any good? Or, oh, yeah. are we making a big mistake by chasing this this rule or this maxim or something? I mean, these were some really expansive songs. I mean, when I look back, I guess when I remember writing them, I mean, I, I remember, you know, this is just, I don't know if naive is the right word, but I feel like the possibilities in my mind were expanding just faster than I could keep up with it. So there's some really there's some really pure songs on there here that came from sort of that perfect balance of being naive, but also just about fully grasping what's possible. As soon as I Can Live in Hope was out, we were like, okay, the only way anybody's going to hear this or hear about it is if we tour. tour. So, you know, and that's honestly... That's how it was back that's then. That's how it was, and that's it's, the only way you could... Internet, so. You know, so we toured a lot. We were hitting places a couple times a year, times a year which now is kind of unheard of. You know, we'd go to Texas a couple... You know, we'd go to Texas and Florida in the, in the winter and maybe again and... I mean, it was kind of crazy how yeah, often, a, how often we hit yeah. some of these places. Yeah. But it was different times. You kind of could do that. People were kind of a lot more up for just like, oh, I'll just go down and see what bands are playing. And you could actually gain fans by doing that because people, the culture was still like, yeah, I'm going to go out, 
Yeah, my buddy's band playing. I guess there's some bands from out of town. We'll go check them out. You know, it was cheap because right, cheap shows, expected much. You know, you got a couple hundred bucks and you're doing good. Get Mm -hmm. to the next town, sleep on someone's floor, and Mm -hmm. keep it rolling. It was great, and and it's a great time to develop and figure out what you're doing. And it was great for writing songs and trying them out on the road for a while before we go into to record which was always a concern back then, just budget-wise, you know, it costs a lot of money to go to a studio and work with someone who's good. And But yeah, so then, I don't know, somewhere in that process, we we also met uh, Albini. Right. And in Chicago, just at, at shows, he, he was at a show, and I remember Zach, you know, <laughs> Zach just coming backstage before we and played or something. Like he just absolutely he thought he was, he was just losing his mind. He yeah. was like, uh, uh, Steve Albini's here. I don't, I don't know why he's here. He must be seeing some friend. Steve Albini's here. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, you know, we played, even we played and and Steve came up and said hi and he said he really liked what we were doing. Yeah, shockingly he liked what we were doing and yeah. he was- <laughs> And uh so yeah, we had met Albini sort of and worked with him a little bit as as we were leaving uh Vernon Yard. Right. So so yeah, I mean he became a great ally and, and friend and mentor. And he's efficient and quick and we kind of had already been used to the aesthetic of you know, really have your stuff ready and really figure out your songs and be ready and go in and uh, work hard and, and knock stuff out and mm-hmm. sometimes just a few days and maybe have a day or two to mix. You know, we'd been touring like crazy, so we'd, be, we'd played all these songs. Yeah, we were yeah, you know, we on tour over and over, so we were pretty prepared. tight. Yeah, we were pretty tight with how we were going to play them. We'd been listening to a lot of classic sort of history of pop and you know i keep coming back to the beach boys i mean i remember this record being sort of a culmination of a time when we'd been we've been listening to a lot of that and you know going listening to the beatles and sort of just kind of educating ourselves about the possibility of sort of the original innovators in the studio and we've been listening to you know like pet sounds and all that stuff for mm-hmm. in the van and then sort of I don't know. Actually, kind of thinking about it now, it's kind of nostalgic. I think we were we were really lucky to be sort of given this, given the opportunity, and sort of given the the time to develop through sort of the subtle process of learning what recording is about. You know, we had several records mm-hmm. to learn what the possibilities were, and yeah, I think by the time we came to things we lost in the fire was sort of this peak that. Once we'd write a song and sort of figure out guitar, bass, drums, arrangement, you know, the next question was always like, okay, what, what could we do to enhance, you know, you know, we had been doing that for a while. What, you know, would a keyboard sound cool on this? Oh, strings, you know, or something like that. It was just, it was, it was just in the band conversation, you know, whether it was in the van listening to, mm-hmm. listening to records and pointing out stuff and talking about this and that. And like, oh man, this string part on this song is so cool. And mm-hmm. it was just on our mind. And. This one, actually, remember Tom? We have a friend, Tom Herbers, yeah. who's, who's our, he's our sound, engineer. our live sound engineer, and, and we have recorded with him multiple times over the years. And he he kind of volunteered to help us kind of enhance the sessions a little bit if we wanted to work on things. And he suggested being able to track 
because we tracked some at his studio. Tracked some with him, yeah. And I remember the time, you know, Albini wasn't necessarily like, I don't like that. But I, I remember kind of in hindsight being like, well, he, I know he was, I know he was a little nervous about it. And I know from just hearing stories since then that that he he really doesn't like to do this. But we we went and we we tracked some with Steve at his studio. And it was, you know, sort of incomplete. And we had some songs. And then we came, uh, we went to uh, Minneapolis at the studio that Tom Herbers had. And we tracked some stuff there. And we played, we added mm-hmm. some instruments, did some keyboards, added some things. Some vocals even, I think. Vocals. Um, kind of some of the more fiddly, like, well, okay, let's try this. I know it might not work, but, you know, it might, it might take me a while to, like, find the right keyboard setting for this thing I hear. You know, and that's kind of just where, you know, we're still analog recording. You're not really able to tweak and manipulate things afterwards as much. And again, we were, by then, we were kind of expanding our, our vision of what's possible in the studio. So we were, we were kind of trying to see, like, what would happen if we had a little extra time? Because, we you know, we could go work with Tom cheaper, and it was closer to home and all that stuff so when we went back to, to yeah. steve then we moved into the b or to the a a room and had our friends play some strings and then then i think we mixed it mm-hmm. this uh friend of ours ida pearl and uh her friend zach we had played with them you know they're in I, the band ida um and then teresa she's friends zach's friend oh and teresa teresa who yeah she's close to chicago she i think she actually played on the nirvana record she was the cello player, yeah, on the, on yeah the right, right, right. So it was someone that Steve knew as well. Yeah, it, well, they're they're good players and people we had played with already, mm-hmm. and it was and we we had figured out what we wanted them to do, and it was just, and I was just telling them it went pretty quick. And yeah, Steve's good with you know he was excited because he I mean, he's a master of he's a master of re- the natural sound, the natural sound. What it, yeah, you know the challenge of getting a good string session is is, mm-hmm. is fun for someone who loves recording. You know, he's one of the greatest engineers. You know, sound engineers ever and is fully equipped for that. You know, I remember actually feeling like there was a little bit of like excitement because we were bringing him weird things like, hey, what if we did this? And, you know, I think the the reputation I think that was out there was like, oh, no, you know, don't try anything wacky with Steve. He doesn't. Everything's got to be real. It's got to be punk. And like, well, no, actually, he was he was kind of excited about recording different things and and excited about trying different things and and i think it was because it was in the spirit of let's make a great sounding record you know someone doing a little click so then when it, mm-hmm. yeah that was that's always a trick in the studio that's always the hardest thing is to get something to line up rhythmically so it sounds and especially with strings too there's so intonation mm-hmm. and sort of the the movement where the start you know, and the where, finish of where, the note yeah, are the, just thrill when the note starts and when it ends is such yeah it's, it's, it's technically it can be very loose and it can be very Technically challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, Ida, Ida and Zach were really, yeah, they did it good really job. good. Yeah. So I think, I think it actually went really smoothly. But I remember being like, okay, I'm not sure. 
mm-hmm. how to do this, but I think if you guys play this note and this note and this note, I think it'll work. <laughs> it's literally that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we knew, we knew we kind of didn't know what we were doing, but but it, I don't know. It's just notes. You, you play a note and and then you have them play another note and, <laughs> and they'll, One you note know, at a time. if it's wrong, you'll know because you'll, you'll be able to hear it, you know? Yeah, at that point, you just, you have it in your head and you kind of just dictate it with whatever instrument you're familiar with. And yeah, that's that's one thing you, you learn. It's that string players, there's two different, you know, they say this all the time. There's two different kinds of string players. There's people who are technical and you put a piece of music in front of them and they can play it perfectly. But then if you ask them, uh, all right, well, we're going to do this country song. It's in A flat. Well, let's hit it. They're not going to be able to kind of hear it and know and have the confidence to kind of jump in and make it sound effortless, you know. Whereas there are some players who who get it, you know. Luckily, Ida and Zach were those kinds of players. first song uh, sunflower it's sort of raw right at first because like when they found your body it's sort of like the not not necessarily the first thing it's quite an image you think of when you when you're thinking of eternal love but um, <laughs> yeah it's like reading the last last couple pages of the novel first every time i sing it i'm sort of picturing it from the side of someone who is either dead or is sort of reflecting on someone who has passed and of course it's it's a relationship you know and how someone would speak who is either a ghost or who is in love with someone who's now gone but you're still one it's sort of you know in many ways it's sort of it's maybe a reflection of, of a belief in eternal life or the belief that love is eternal and that we if we do live forever then are we one and and living eternally with with the people who we've committed our love to. And it's a way of doing a love song without it being sappy or mm-hmm. without, it, without it being disingenuous, maybe. I don't know. This has probably been the most requested song. People still, ask for this Even it's this yeah. day, you know, still. People ask this one yeah, people yeah. ask to hear this one. trajectory for a few records of kind of slowly customizing ourselves more to the studio and sort of on a very cautious level reaching out to other possibilities whether it's other instruments or recording technique we'd done a few records by then and we'd worked with with several different uh, engineers and producers that was really key to helping us along and so yeah so we had met Joel from Cranky. Joel and Bruce. Joel and Bruce at that point. And they had, they had they had basically put, you know, invited us like, hey, whenever you guys yes, whenever you guys want a new situation, you know, we're we're here for you. And yeah. And so it was actually pretty natural and 
Yeah. Pretty welcome at that point. You know, we we didn't know if we fit on cranky. You know, the cranky aesthetic was a little different. Yeah, for, a little different than startling. what we'd been doing. We thought, oh, are you, you, sh- you, are you guys sure? Because sure? yeah. we're, we're kind of this... <laughs> <laughs> kind of just real kind minimal, of little and minimal not indie, really, you know we're still playing really, pop songs yeah, and stuff kind of poppy we're, we're not, and not so know. experimental at this point but, but then but i remember having this a little bit of a feeling like wow we're we're on, we're on cranky we, we really could kind of do whatever we we, mm-hmm. we really could stretch out and you know and of course we'd done a few records and like i said we'd been learning you know as you learn to record you see your mind kind of explodes with like wow what, what would what would happen if we just did a song where the drum was just well, doing so this like, thing. Did, you know, we did songs, songs for, for Dead, Dead Pilot. Pilot was the first thing we did. And so, yeah, so we did where, experiment like, hey, we could, where we, we recorded that. Us, yeah, we were recording ourselves. Again, we kind of didn't know what we were doing, but we are kind of like, well, I think that's okay. I think we can just, as long as we're experimenting and trying to come up with something interesting. And I remember, you know, putting, we'll probably, they'll putting probably microphones in the dryer and banging on the edge. Banging on the thing, you know, we thought, hey, this... Oh, I bet nobody's trying. I bet nobody's, nobody's thought of this. <laughs> Look out, Brian Eno. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Stay. Whitetail, I guess. Yeah, I remember kind of writing that. It's just sort of this weird circle on the guitar. It's a circle of five measures, which is odd. Mm-hmm. Not only literally odd, but it's just, you know, most time music's in fours and eights and twos and stuff. So Daniel Huffman from this yes. band, this old, these friends of ours, this band Comet from Texas, happened to be out, out hanging out, <laughs> visiting us and... So we had him play some some noise on that because he's kind of more of a free noise, psychedelic Texas uh, guitar guy. So that was cool. We tracked a lot of that at Tom's mm-hmm. and then brought it to Steve. I don't know. Just I mean, picture, I can try to think Yeah, of, that song just is just yeah, slowly, like, just, you know, yeah. anticipation. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's a little bit sonically, the texture is kind of... It's actually kind of a precursor to a lot, a lot of what we're doing now. You know, it's it's removed from the drum kit. You know, mm-hmm. there's no backbeat right. to it. Mm-hmm. There's no sort of noty bass line necessarily, even though the bass is there. It's sort of just this kind of throbbing texture that's coming at you, which could probably describe a lot of what we've been doing the last few years. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the first verse in that, I remember... I always think of Zach. It's to stay up all night, waste time, waste light, closer, closer, ever close. Because Zach is a is a illustrator, he's comic, uh, graphic novels and comics artists, and those lines to me were inspired. Sort of like the image of just that he would stay up all night and work on work on stuff. He's a really meticulous, meticulous, meticulous artist, and he would take a lot of time for his stuff, and he would pour over it and edit it a lot. So it's just, to me, it's this claustrophobic late night kind of fuzzy feeling of being driven to work on this thing that you love, but it's, it's, it's also sort of a, sort of a trudge <laughs> through, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and in some ways that to me, that's, it's sort of a reflection of the feeling of writing too, you know, from at least my pattern 
for years is just, you know, it's, you're up late at night. It's kind of the only time of the day when, you know, everybody's in bed and you, everything's kind of quiet and you kind of sit and spend that time kind of hunched over the guitar, kind of mumbling and trying to figure out ideas. And, you know, most of the time you don't. And, and then the image of the white tails, I don't know, something that's going that way. And all you see is it's, <laughs> that it's leaving. You're never going to catch it. Some of the stuff's already built in, you know, the fact that Mim doesn't play like a normal kick drum, hi-hat, snare kind of beats, you know, really automatically helps things <laughs> put it mm -hmm. in a different world and, and you know, makes it easier for no matter what else do, what we do. Well, like, well, it doesn't sound like anything I've heard before. And, and it's mostly because Mim's different approach to drums. and But then that forces us to think differently as well, you know, so... Mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't know. Just trying to avoid cliches. You know, we try not to play with them or lean on them too much. I think some bands really use, you know, the, the touchstones and the, the anchors of the past to, to realign and, and tell their story with sort of the vocabulary that's already been established and, and, and familiar. And, and there's an art to that. But I guess we've always just insisted that we there are other ways of doing it and that if we worked at it, we could find our own. <laughs> Dinosaur Act, I remember, I remember when I wrote it thinking, wow, wow, this is cool. It's kind of loud. You know, I wasn't unfamiliar with playing loud and I do love loud stuff, but I remember kind of writing in this big riff, you know, dun, 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 thinking, oh man, that's, too, that's a rock. I don't know. I don't know if Mim and... Scared us. I don't know if Mim and, Sarge, <laughs> and, Mim and Zach are going to go for that. So, But we, we, found a, we found a way to do it mm -hmm. that was thick and heavy without completely surrendering to the thing that in my head that wanted to do you know? right that was a good example of, of us sort of being like yeah that's okay we can we can go there i guess right Let, let's see what happens if we go there let's let's see what happens and yeah you know and i think in hindsight we were probably a little cautious you know and we probably could have rang it out a little harder and it might maybe would have I don't want to say rocked better, but it might we could have rocked harder. We could have rocked it. I but, mean, yeah, I think we were maybe we were sort of cautious, a little resistant like, to time, it. Like, it was, are we, are we yeah. Doing, are we doing this? So, it, so this it always is, yeah. it feels like this weird like are we doing it? Are we doing this or not? And it's a, I think even live it, it's always really hard to do because it was just in the back of your mind. The song really wanted to do go there, but then you're like, no, we were, that's not we what we're, we're about. We were holding you know, it back. That's yeah. not what we're about. How yeah. can we do this without it? 
Yeah, probably or, or find our own. It was probably more it took us a sleepy. while to find our own, find the right way to let loose. Yeah, yeah. I think we knew with that song. We're like the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah. I just felt like it would be a little too cliched if we let it go where we were. Yeah, it took a while for us mm-hmm. to find like okay, how do we be loud without it being like oh, there's the cliche we've heard already. I thought we were mm-hmm. about trying to avoid that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it actually took a couple of times to play it to you before you, before you really bit, actually. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. You were the daughter And your father Yeah, dinosaur act images from childhood, and mm-hmm. I remember the song kind of when I wrote it. It just the the phrase dinosaur act came out first. You know, it just kind of falls out of your head, and I remember thinking like, "What dinosaur? What does that mean? That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, thought, I remember thinking like, "Well, the melody and phrasing is cool. I'll just roll with it and write some verses and stuff, and and then maybe I'll maybe I'll come back and change the words." You know, maybe by the time I know the, write the verses, I'll know what the chorus should be. So, but I don't know, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing beat else. it, yeah. <laughs> nothing beat it out. So I, by the time I'd sung it a few times, like, oh, that's right. Good thing to sing is anything. I remember there were, there was sort of a joke for a long time. People kind of misinterpreting it. The dinosaur egg song. Or, yeah, right. Dinosaur egg, dinosaur hat, dinosaur ah. <laughs> So, I don't know, there were, there were a lot of misinterpretations, it was pretty funny. Just like a dinosaur was one of the engineers at uh, the studio there and we'd see him pop in and out and he's a good friend and I think Steve actually mentioned that oh you know Bob Bob plays trumpet you know <laughs> oh oh really okay let's get yeah we had him come in and do that part and it was cool very quick yeah it's a weird weird song that we're sometimes playing and it feeling really good but most of the time playing and just just being like what are we doing <laughs> I try to find the right spot for this and I can't you know some songs are like that. Let's see, Medicine Magazines was uh, 
remember writing, I have images in my mind of writing that as well, but it took a little while. I have sort of certain writing styles that I fall into a lot, and this is one of them, the sort of the, the cycle of, sort of the weird twist end at the end of, end of a cycle. It's like three chords in a cycle, but then a little twist at the end, and then, okay, start again. Three chords in a cycle, or four chords in a cycle, and then a weird twist at the end, and then four chords in a cycle. Anyway, that one, just, all I remember is just working so hard and wringing my brain out so hard trying to write these songs. A friend of ours made a video actually just recently for that song, and, and I think I actually, for the first time, was actually able to really connect with the song and actually feel, feel the emotion of it because it's just the, maybe the imagery or something. It was, suddenly it hit me as a lot more nostalgic and resonant than I think it ever had been. I don't know. The language in it is sort of talking to a friend, you know, maybe talking to someone who's, you know, you're trying to help or console or try to give, give advice or, you know, <laughs> I mean, I may be talking to myself even. A lot of times that's what's going on. I'm speaking to someone, but really it's a reflection of myself, talking to myself or, yeah, most of the songs of the record, I'm talking more to Mim, mm -hmm. not, not this one. This is, this is speaking to a troubled friend. And there's pressure always to, to solve it for people or to give them answers and it's okay. The most important thing is just engage. Yeah, there's a really cool a mess in magazines that little uh, electric piano break is is Zach. Like I literally can see in my mind the image of him in the big room and be playing this keyboard that that Steve had wheeled out. Yeah, I kinda remember that too. was fairly new when we brought yeah. it in. Yeah, Zach and I had figured out the music on it and kind of thought, well, this this is just really cool, super minimal, mm -hmm. you know, without necessarily being slow, we were start trying to still get that it was, feeling yeah, of, it was, of the minimal, you know, I mean, sort it was, of our, yeah, very minimal that anchor and, of ours and, yeah. <laughs> and slow and yeah. minimal. It was nice to have a song that really was that stripped. Mm -hmm. People love, People request this song a lot.
the lyrics came together really fast yeah, with just, this song. It was one it. of those you played it, I sat down and that's that's basically what came out. Yeah. I don't remember hashing over it at all. Yeah. You know, and basically it's I have no idea what the laser beam is referring to, but the rest of the song is is kind of, you know, it's autobiographical for me. It has to do with I remember when I was a kid um, going to town to get my dad, who was intoxicated at the bar, <laughs> which happened more than I'd like to admit. And we were sitting in the car waiting for him, and he came out holding a drink, and the cop was there. And the cop, he, My dad got in the car, and the cop sprayed, like, mace on him. And it was so crazy. And I don't remember my eyes burning or anything, but... I just remember that. I mean, that was a very striking memory yeah. that I have. And that song is basically based on that experience. things are on your mind. Don't you think I know? Will this quite young when that yeah when that happened but yeah pretty really intense and I don't know for some reason the, it just kind of flowed out of me that day It's an interesting song to write. Yeah, it's really kind of epic. I don't write a lot of songs that have sections like that, you know, kind of movements. It's kind of got a lot of pop melody and movement in, in it. A little bit more complex chord movement than we usually do. Yeah, I mean, Mark D played on that. Yeah. I remember um, that really he brought kind of, a lot, yeah. He brought a lot of sophistication to yeah, it. You know, there's definitely. Some, yeah, I know we, we kind of built it at Steve's and then we went to Tom's and, and uh, Mark uh, Mark Deagley and Tony was, uh, he was the sampler slash keyboard player for Soul Coughing who we had toured with and was good friends we were, mm -hmm. were friends with those guys and he came out we, we invited him out to do some keyboards on a few songs and, and he just he did a great job and really you know brought is more than just keyboard I mean he's a guy who understands you know he's really he's interested in sound and like how stuff hits much more so than a typical keyboard person so yeah it was really great you know he came and played some mellotron and mm -hmm. chamberlain tom had a chamberlain which is it's like a mellotron it's the same 
concept here, triggering tape, actual tape samples of other instruments, you know? So, so yeah, all that, all that orchestral, all that weird, like a horn sounding thing at the end and stuff. That's all, that's all Chamberlain. Mark was playing the keyboard on. There's a lot sonically, there's a lot like chords and the changes and stuff going on there that I don't know. I don't know enough about theory to understand what's going on, but there's some weird chromatic chord movement on that song that I, that I don't understand what's going on, but it sounds okay. So, so we, we went with it. <laughs> but also like our team you know like our our group yeah it's about sort of being it's it's underdog it's underdog cheerleading is what it is it's yeah. to say hey we get left out we get looked over they pass us over but that's okay we we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll hide we'll hide in our little cover until they've passed maybe we'll have to wait even longer I feel like even to this day, I feel like when we bring that song out, which is not very often, but we'll play it for something, you know, like we were yep. doing our Friday shows. I feel like, oh, yeah, that's what a, what a little treat. You know, I, I, yeah, I like playing f- that song. Yeah. I like singing it. I think they're just yeah, some really sweet. Out, yeah, there's some really kind of, sweet moments. And yeah. the ending, the way the yeah, ending rises out. The, the yeah. And the release on yeah. are, are actually pretty successful. It's yeah. Weird. It's fun to ride out on something mm-hmm. pretty for for, mm-hmm. a few mo- for a couple moments, you know. Yeah. <laughs> not too long, but heavens, no, not too yeah. long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, specifically, there are two songs on here that I sing that pertain directly to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Embrace is basically about the experience of actually physically having a child. And then In Metal is, you know, after she's here and what you're thinking and, you know, all the emotions that come knowing that you have this life, you know, this new, precious, fragile life you know, and you're in charge of keeping this <laughs> child alive yeah. and, and teaching and, you know, teaching her and trying to, yeah, so specifically, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, direct physical contact with sort of the a newer awareness of the cycle of life, you know, sort of mm-hmm. this, this life coming in and sort of you sense the mantle of what is important to sort of shift, mm-hmm. you know, as you see that, okay, well now this is the most important. And then sort of with that inevitably comes sort of death. And yeah, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of them are, are sort of love songs, but sort mm-hmm. of, sort of from the voice of having gone through something. Yeah. 
together, not so much a love. It's it's, it's almost like oh, it's kind of the know, next, like yeah, the next realize you know mm-hmm. coming coming through to to this realization. Sure, sort of once you start life. having children, they become the focus. You know, yeah. obviously, the marriage and the relationship is still important, but it uh, you know you know it takes it a little, it takes. Yeah, a new dimension. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, a it's, new, just, it's a new dimension it, and, a new and, and a shift. It's So embrace. Um, yeah, embrace. I'm trying is, to think how. I think I I came to you with with some chords on the baritone. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of oh, I got these chords. Well, hey, what do you think? And I and you. Well, you I actually had had, I had had part of that song that I had written previously oh, right. that I had been trying to f- find find a place for. Find. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that the. Kind of the I I fell down the stairs. I'd had that. Oh right, right, right. Remember and yeah, it was just a matter of getting. It was yeah, it was magic. Yeah, matter of figuring out a verse and yeah, and so yeah, you told me you're like okay, the chorus needs to kind of go like this, Mm -hmm. this, and I remember like okay, is is this chord? You're like no, 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 someone's wrong. Right? Yeah. So when I yeah, a lot of times I'll have a melody in my head and it's like a harmony to something. So for him it takes to find a while the note, to figure out like what chord or what what do, what am I hearing in my what's, head? Where's, where's yeah. the chord movement that you're hearing? With yeah, this? and so that was that one. I'd had that kind of that bridgey part for a while, and then I just took me a little while. I think I labored over that one a little bit, and that one actually is you know about childbirth. Childbirth. I, re- I so kind of preparing for this. I looked at the songs again, just kind of you know refresh my memory. I read a review. I read a, a review about this in Pitchfork, and it it talked about my <laughs> good review. It talked about my ridiculous lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I think back in the day, I didn't really read. Oh no, you know, we, I didn't we, really read we, reviews, we, and I'm like, oh, I never so saw that either. I never saw that. But anyway, now I could kind of chuckle at it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, you. You know, see you, you push a child out of your vagina, and let's see if you want to die. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sure all all of those twenty some year old oh the guys dude, yeah, the dudes who are working at Pitchfork now have now have probably four children who are the first yeah, ones to admit that they would rather not <laughs> give you crap about pushing your <laughs> child out of Anyway, vagina. I thought it, but now I, yeah, so I kind of laugh at it now. But anyway, yeah, so that's one of those. Um, <laughs> You know, songs that are definitely come about or impacted by having a child.
middle section. Yeah, that was kind of the first time I kind of really opened, let loose. Yeah, opened, opened up, up a little f- bit. A little bit of full voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can hear it. You can hear it. It's, mm-hmm. it's fresh. For, it's fresh. Fresh and raw, for and raw me. Yeah. Territory I was, for yeah, I was pretty subdued in the past, but yeah. yeah it's fine. It sounds good. see horn yeah i remember kind of writing this is yeah again this is this trying really hard to write good songs and sort of really being influenced by traditional pop and, and sort of trying to figure out like okay well what is with chords that sort of move and you know a simple melody over it you know this this idea of especially stuff that sort of would descend through each of the notes of the scale instead of just being Instead of just using the same two or three chords that 90% of music bases around, I was, I was infatuated with sort of, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do a descending chord, you know. I mean, El- Elliot Smith and all, some of the of our, you know, contemporaries were just masters at, with this stuff. So I was, I was sort of fascinated with, like, how do they do that? So there's, yeah, that song kind of has this chromatic descending kind of chord thing and, and then this melody. <laughs> Yeah, this it was melody. kind of the first time that I kind of come up with a counter, yeah, a counter melody too. Yeah, yeah, that was mm-hmm. that was key. Yeah, you kind of came in with this counter melody that instead of just being harmony with me, yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty key. The limits of the flesh. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, <clears throat> I really like that song. I think that's really great. That, that little bridge, the, 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 the little bridge in the middle, is, you fill your house with bells, but who can live like that? Mm-hmm. You want to speak like angels, but you can't. Yeah. I guess one of my favorite lines that I came up with. I kind of was worried that maybe I was being a little too preachy, you know, right. on that song. But I, you know, but yeah. in, the end, in the end, I was like, well, I'll, I'm in the same boat. Well, you know? I'm saying, yeah. yeah. Compared to what I'm saying, what is the horror you like? I'm being, I'm You're definitely more right. accusatory. It could be taken as more accusatory. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, but I'm saying, well, I guess you'll get what you get, what yeah. you reap, what you sow. Yeah. Look out, mm-hmm. Mim and Alan are coming <laughs> to tell you how bad you are. No. <laughs> Your life 
were starting to have children, you know, we, we our daughter was pretty fresh at this point, but sort of the concept of there being this other person who is that close to you and someone who you're that concerned about, like, well, what, what kind of life are they going to have? And you are hopeful and fearful for their life more so than you ever were, for, even for your own, you know, and, and that, that can be terrifying. And, and so you're, you start imagining like, what is life going to be like for this person? What is their experience going to be? What is the ultimate trauma they're going to have to, to deal with? And, you know, how, how will reality look around there in their space, you know, as they become a more valid <laughs> life form than you are, because they're now new and, and now you definitely sense, again, I think they use the word passing of the mantle. It's sort of a weird, subtle thing that happens when you recognize that reality. I don't know. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm speaking maybe to a hypothetical future, you know, my daughter or someone that close, I guess, so to speak. Pushing so hard, trying to figure out so, so the possibilities of chord movement and stuff. Again, you know, influenced by influenced by contemporaries, you know, people that we had toured with who were really making some really sophisticated stuff. Ida, we'd been touring a lot with Ida, and they're just great songwriters. Just so good with putting sophistication into seemingly simple music. And so I don't know. I was really pushing myself. That one, you know, it's it's a very tactile guitar. You know, I'm. I'm picking and doing double stops and doing fancy stuff that sort of looks like someone who knows how to play the guitar. I always actually look at that one as like sort of <laughs> probably the most sophisticated guitar piece that I've ever recorded just because of the, the technique that's involved with it. And and, and honestly, it's, it's really, it's not typical of, of what I write and it's not typical of how I play at all either. Like a forest, again, kind of just exploring pop and trying to figure out kind of chord movement. And, you know, we're, we're tr sort of trying to find ways to do it that are, without it being sort of rock and roll backbeat, you know? <laughs> Heaven, yeah, we just really. And, uh, yeah. Doo -doo -doo, just a real. Yeah, yeah, a real. Yeah, I don't know, it's funny. Orchestral, but. Orchestral. But, but still on a real was, minimal level. Yeah. And that. Strings on that, yeah. Yeah, it just took a while. We're like, okay, well, I'll try this, try this. Okay, does this work? Oh no, it doesn't work. Let me change this. Okay, well, I'll try to move it to this thing. Okay, yeah, that's how we do the strings. So I like that. I got with the five or six types of songs that we have. Maybe, maybe seven. I don't know. That's you know that's in. That's one of the. Will yeah, kind of like strings. 
kind of building and ecstatic. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, some of it I call as a Roy Orbison influence. I've yeah. listened to a lot of that and, and re- really recognizing his influence on a certain, yeah. certain, there's a couple iconic pop structures that Roy Orbison really, really defined. I don't mm-hmm. know if he was necessarily the pioneer of it, but anyway, he taught me the, those kinds of things. Those, those are sort of certain song forms that I, mm-hmm. that, that I like. And, yeah, yeah definitely have used many times so yeah it's building 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 mm-hmm. and we're out Also, I think of my friend, a friend named John, went to college with who blew up like an M80 or something in his, in his hand and kind of lost half of a couple fingers. So that's sort of the reference to that. So mm. the, the, just in time to bl- to go up in my hand. Yeah, again, try to try to convince someone you love to either keep going or see the truth or something. I don't know. Just in, yep. Probably a precursor more to what was coming than anything. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Let's say the next few years. Next few years, probably. I started losing, losing, losing my mind a little bit, and, and the universe started collapsing for me at least a little bit. But this was definitely <laughs> this is definitely a, a bright fire on the way there. song uh let's see closer it's the second to the last song on the record is uh you never kind of look at that and see that it's sort of an intimacy song it's a love song it's mm-hmm. it's you know look what we've been through is that not the substance of of who we are together you know look what we survived look what we helped each other through which look what we made i mean that's the that's the substance of sort of you know that's the substance of a relationship so to me that's yeah hold me yeah it's like, look at all these things, things you've been through. If you've lost everything together, you know, I mean, when I see, you know, the ships lay sleeping beneath overhead spinning past, it's, it's a little bit of the imagery of two ships passing in the night, except one is, one is on the bottom of the sea and one is, one is aimlessly drifting, you know, across the surface, but there's, is there still not intimacy there? You know, I mean, even the, the image of the lack of intimacy is almost intimate. I think, you know, again, again, I keep coming back to like, those are the things that that's the substance of love. And that's, that's the substance of eternal life, you know. Things we love. 
from closer and it's yeah things we lost in fire and to me it's a, it's a powerful image it's mm-hmm. pretty loaded and and personal you know i think just about anyone hears that phrase and, and and is both taken back in a little bit of terror and also you know immediate recalling of your memory and and your foundation and what's around you and what you count on as objects and to find your bearing in in life and what you know I guess sort of the next question is like, well, do those things matter? You know, mm-hmm. of course, of course they do, but imagine, imagine losing them together. that song that I did kind of struggle with the lyrics for that one. Oh, you, oh we're talking about in metal? In metal, yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Yes, yeah. we were still talking about the noise thing from before. Oh, yeah, well, okay. I'm, getting to the, in metal. I'm getting to the nitty-gritty of the okay. song. All right. Um, how much, I mean, how much time can you spend on that noise thing? Exactly. It's not even listed on the record. <laughs> 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 okay, in metal. Yeah, that was another... Yeah, I came with a guitar record. thing, and, mm-hmm. and you... Kind of wrote this thing real quick. Some weird lyrics for it, but yeah, that's another one that people kind of request. No, they don't. I don't think misinterpret. That one's kind of obvious a little bit, you know. But partly hate to see you grow, and just like your baby shoes. Wish I could keep your little body in metal. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, it is kind of a kind of a grotesque. Grotesque you know, and terrifying <laughs> and, and But I know when you know when you when you have your kids and they're just so sweet and they're just you just wanna you know, wrap them up and keep them where they're at. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of just yeah. referring to that, how we just loved her so much and we just wanted to keep her so sweet and precious, mm-hmm. you know, because you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 
We knew that it was a special. I wish we really could keep spe- you in this. A very special I moment. We, I know we can't, but it would be nice. Yeah. It's fun. It's got a good payoff. It does got, yeah, it's got a little, yeah. It's got the kind of acoustic indie rock, indie rock funk going. Mm -hmm. Baby Hollis, first appearance on the record. I think you had to, I remember you actually having to like squeeze her. She she needed to get her her squeal in the rice. Well, she would squeal, but not when we wanted to. Yeah, we're, yeah. And we might have actually done that at Tom's. We did, we we did at Tom's. I think you were doing some backup vocals and she was in the room yeah and you're trying to do a vocal and she squeaked and we we're like okay well why don't you we'll bring your order close to the mic we'll just keep it in and there we'll catch a couple and yeah Well, this was a really, it's a really great record for us. We were working with people that we loved. Um, we had just gotten a good deal. Our label in England, kind of our situation in England, finally was was healthy and good. We had a good label there, and, and the Christmas record had kind of gotten a lot of people's interest up in us. So mm-hmm. when this record came out, it was really, it was really fun to like really deliver and actually have something that it felt like we we. We achieved what we were, what we were hoping to, you know, it, it was a culmination of many hours in the, in the van listening to, to mm-hmm. music and learning about how records were made. And, and yeah, you yeah, hear and music, was, you know, it was, it was, it was a first for me, you know, a first with some of the songs like Dinosaur Act. And, you know, we were venturing out a little bit and we were breaking out of, out of these, the rules that we'd kind of, the parameters that we'd set for ourselves a little mm-hmm. bit, we decided that, well, maybe we don't have to be so strict yeah. to these, you know, ideals that we've had in the yeah. past. And, and yeah, and so I think this was... It's kind of an arrival of... Yeah. Like, oh. An arrival and a departure to something else. Visit lifeoftherecord.com for more information about Lowe. You'll also find a link to stream or purchase things we lost in the fire. Thanks for listening.